millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to another Arsblog Arscast, right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? If you're an Arsenal fan, please know that that question is purely rhetorical. And if you're a fan of another club uh, listening to this podcast, because I know there are uh, some of you out there who do, welcome to about an hour of my misery. Because I'm feeling a little bit disheartened by the week that we've just had from an Arsenal point of view. We've played two, we've lost two, conceded six goals, and the chance that we had to really secure a place in the top four and get Champions League football for next season appears to have gone. It's not impossible. Many things have happened in recent times that people said were impossible. So you can't give up hope entirely. But I have to tell you that this team this week has done its very best to extinguish the little candle of hope that I had lit inside my heart. They've come along one by one and just drizzled a little bit of piss on the candle till it's gone out. One of them, even with his ginger beard, stood on his head while trinkling his winkle juice on my candle of hope. I have to say, I honestly... This week has has really done something to me because, you know, we've done well. We did well against Napoli and we, you know, we were on a good run. We had that Everton game, of course, but, you know, clean sheets and it looked like defensively we were, we were better. And then we have a home game against Crystal Palace. We could have gone above Tottenham and then, you know, we, we didn't because of the guy who came along and stood on his head doing we on my candle rather than defending. And then you think, okay, well, that wasn't ideal, but maybe this team has got it in them for a response in midweek. We've seen it a few times this season. Things go wrong, and Unai Emery manages to to somehow mould this squad of gentlemen, most of whom I wouldn't care less if we sold tomorrow, but that's by the by. You know, he manages to get something out of them, and, and things go our way again. So while I wasn't necessarily optimistic Going into the Wolves game, I thought maybe we would be better than we were, but maybe that's my fault. Maybe that's on me. I've been doing this long enough, I should know better. But, you know, what is football without hope? And now, where we head into a weekend where we've got to play Leicester... Away from home! What do I do? Do I get a new candle of hope? I had to throw the old one out because it was covered in piss. Watch its flame flickering brightly and within there I can see the glint of possibility, the potential for any number of positive outcomes as we go to Filbert Street or wherever the fuck it is that Leicester play now, only to see it extinguished by one of those fuckers scoring an own goal with his bollocks. I just don't know. I just don't know. 
but it has got to me. It has got to me. I mean, I, I just don't know if I can handle the idea of Brendan Rogers being that happy on Sunday, looking at us with his big fucking Finding Nemo shark teeth, smiling away with his glistening white gnashers, knowing that he's going to take a picture of himself and frame it and put it on the inside of the door of his downstairs toilet so he can sit there basking in his own Brendanosity as he sits there curling one out every morning. I just don't know if I can handle that. But there we go. That's football for you, folks. That is the ups and downs of football. I wasn't feeling it when I spoke to Amy a bit earlier on. Amy Lawrence, of course, our good old friend. But Amy did her best to put me right. So we've got that coming up for you right now. And a bit later on, we're talking a bit about the Arsenal women who could win the title this weekend. And we'll look ahead a bit to the Leicester game, chat a bit more about the Wolves game with Tim Stillman. So let's all do what we need to do with our various candles and uh, get on with the show. Okay, joining me now on the Arsecast to try and make some kind of sense of, uh, over what happened at Molyneux uh, on Wednesday night. Uh, you got a great job today, Amy. Sorry about this, but welcome to the show as always. Yeah, thanks. You pick your moments. <laughs> it's nothing to do with me. I asked you this, you know, last week when we were in a lovely position in which, you know, two wins would have taken us uh, above Tottenham and, uh, you know, more or less sealed a place in the top four. But, you know, Arsenal, Arsenal did. So uh, I'm putting the blame entirely on them. Uh, I know this is a really difficult question and one which is plaguing people and probably Unai Emery and everybody at the club, but can you offer any explanation for the difference in Arsenal at home versus Arsenal away? I think that's a fascinating question and what really interests me in relation to that is the team that Unai Emery picked against Crystal Palace because I suspect that he kidded himself slightly into that feeling, which I think most people associated with the club shared, that they felt fairly invincible at home. And there was, you know, a pretty logical explanation for that. The 10 home wins on a row, um, some fantastic performances in Europe at home, uh, a feeling of control, a feeling of the team being able to express itself, uh, all those factors uh, quite possibly um, allowed or encouraged Emery to make what was possibly quite a fatal mistake in his team selection um, for the home game against Crystal Palace. Mm. As soon as that team sheet came out, uh, yeah, got that sinking feeling in the pit of the stomach, thinking, why are you picking a team with Wolves? A team to Essentially, he picked a team to to face Wolves or you've picked a team with that specific match in mind. Yeah. And it didn't take a genius to, to figure out that, you know, whether you rest players or not, that Wolves away game looked really dicey. Uh, what's What fascinates me in the slightly bigger picture looking at this kind of home versus away thing, um, and it's a generational thing perhaps, is... For slightly uh, for the slightly uh, older and wiser Arsenal supporters out there, they will remember a time where away games kind of invariably meant that Arsenal would put up a really strong fight. 
And in fact, you go back in time to 2002 and 2004, which were the last two times Arsenal won the title. They didn't lose a single away game in those two entire seasons. It seems beyond belief uh, when you look at the the state that that Arsenal find themselves in on the road most of the time nowadays. And it's like everyone at the club has become almost accepting of it as a new reality. But that old reality was that Arsenal would go absolutely everywhere and think that they were going to win. Mm. And even if they didn't win, they got a point. But there was an absolute fierce determination and confidence that went from front to back in the team and included the substitutes and included the fan base and included the manager. And that manifested itself in two out of three seasons with no defeats away from home in the league. So it's just weird that the club as was has kind of allowed itself to drift so far away from that as to feel like it exists in a different away universe. Mm. And, you know, football is full of examples of patterns and vibes setting in. A change of manager and a change of a few players has not been enough yet to undo what has really been decade now uh, of of this kind of inbuilt feebleness away from home. And I, I would hate to sit down and go through the last 10 years of fixtures and sort of tick off the real disasters and work out what percentage of away games have been, you know, utterly embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, there have been... more than it should be, that's for sure. That, that is for sure, you know, and, and certainly this season, that's uh, that's a factor. And maybe one of the things, I suppose, that people were hoping for when Unai Emery took over was a manager with this approach, this tactical approach with more focus on the opposition, for example, you know, to look at their strengths uh, and apply... Uh, our strengths to combat those, that there might be a bit more solidity and character away from home. And that really hasn't been the case that, you know, maybe it was a running joke under Arsene Wenger that we'd somehow, you know, find a way to drop points away from home in games where, you know, there was a reasonable expectation that Arsenal could get something from it. And and that seems to be just continuing throughout the season. And, and you can say a lot of the same players are there, but there are new players too. You know, last night, Leno played, Socrates played, uh, Lucas Torreira played, Matteo Genduzzi came on and he played. Um, I'm not saying that he was culpable, but, you know, these same problems are manifesting themselves week after week, game after game. And it feels like it's sort of like the riding through a stick of rock, you know, that yeah. it's just part of who we are now. And it's, you yeah. know, how do we, uh, uh, how do we do something about it? Ooh, mm. um, <laughs> no, I'm asking you a really difficult question. Sorry. It is. And I think when you look at the team that played at Wolves, um, barring Sinus Guy, um, that's pretty much the team that everybody picks, right? Yeah. And I would, the one thing I would say in a slightly bigger picture when you're trying to assess um, the changes that, that Unai Emery's sort of tried, tried to bring in this year is the, the, it, when, when people are out of sight and out of mind, it's easy to forget. But actually, what a monumental loss to have no Rob Holding for nearly all the season, no Hector Bellerin for most of the season and no Danny Welbeck for most of the season. Everybody has to deal with injuries at you know various points along the way, and uh, 
that's probably the you know how lucky you are with injuries and how well you cope with them and and how capable the fringe guy players are is it, it, it probably what makes the difference between kind of a terrible season and a bad season or a bad season and a quite good season or a quite good season and a really good season etc yeah um uh, but in terms of what Unai Emery has been able to try and juggle with that's been a a nightmare frankly particularly at the back obviously it's necessitated him having to try and come up with this formation that looked like being the most comfortable one because really Arsenal don't don't have men, many options at fullback at all at the moment. I mean, Ainsley Martin-Niles is, is filling in as well as can be expected, but he's not. Uh, you, you wouldn't expect him to play right back. Yeah, uh, Kolasinac has never looked like a left back. Um, Monreal, who's hanging on in there, and you know maybe the legs are not quite what they were to, to play fullback, and it's dependent on having you know a great centre back pairing next to you. So, and a bit of protection in front of you. So he's had to play this back three with wing backs. And that means that you get undermanned sometimes in midfield as well. Um, so it's been hard, I think, to to try and find a, that balance. But I think what probably drives him and everybody else the most mad is that it was quite recently that it looked like that balance had been found. Mm. And you look back to... A fantastic week in March. Three home games. Man United beaten 2-0. Wren beaten 3-0 to go on with a comeback in the Europa League. Newcastle beaten comfortably 2-0. No goals conceded, which, you know, it had been unusual to get any clean sheets. Suddenly you've got three in a row, scoring goals. Everyone's confident. It, it looked like a, a, a corner had been turned at sort of just the right time, which is where perhaps... Another classic Arsenal tendency of recent years is where you can't suddenly allow yourself to believe. <laughs> you know, a few um, few ingredients fall into place and it looks like the mix is just coming together. And then that's when they get you, obviously. Yeah. I mean, so, that's... I, I, I is, you say, I think everyone's guilty of it. You say these stupid things before games and, and you almost curse things. And... But I do remember before the Everton away game, which followed that good week, it was like, this is it. If they can get a result at Everton, then all those away games in front of Arsenal look achievable. And, yeah. that, and the momentum is with you. And of course, that Everton away game was sort of classically dismal, pale, um, uninspiring, vulnerable away performance. Um so then, guess what? Another another good week. Uh, Arsenal get themselves together. Hurrah! 2-0 against Napoli. Great performance at home. And Watford, somehow, an away win. Woo! <laughs> Clean sheet. And then, finished the job in Naples. Wow. And didn't concede a goal. Didn't get under pressure. Job done. It's look, you know, you, you, you get lifted again. You, so, the, these, this habit of kind of shooting themselves in the foot and then falling over and landing in a pile of muck <laughs> nose first is 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 what happened, uh, which is where Arsenal find themselves really looking at a position where it's Europa League or bust in all likelihood. Yeah, it does look like that. I mean, we do have a manager who specialises in winning the Europa League, if that can be called a speciality. I don't know if it's 
probably what he wants to be known for, but it is what what he is most successful in. Um, you know, th- this week when I look back to the game against Crystal Palace and how I was feeling before the game against Crystal Palace. You know, you you talk about Everton and in some ways you look at that as maybe a little bit of an aberration in in that run of six games where we only conceded. It could have been, but for the last four days. It could have been. And then this Mm -hmm. is is where I've been going with this season that I get built to a point where I think, oh, okay. And we've been able to respond and then we, as you say, fall face first into a pile of of muck um you know uh we play palace at home you're looking at that as a as a home banker and what happens happens um with with the team selection and with Shkodran Mustafi and you look to Wolves and you think okay well that was bad what happened at Palace can we respond can Emery get his players and his team to to fight back and to play with, as he said before the game, I was watching him uh, on the stream, I was watching, there was an interview with him and he said, you know, we're going to go out and we're going to play with our, with our personality. And I'm thinking if that is our personality, we've got really big problems because we were on top, I think in terms of how we were controlling the game, certainly in terms of possession, but the minute the Wolves scored we went to pieces and the organization was gone and the heads went down. And I think the second goal was a consequence of, of bad organization, you know, leaving us two on one from a short corner routine, a mistake from Leno, I think a mistake from Xhaka in the third goal, a mistake from Mkhitaryan maybe for not taking a yellow card, a mistake from Leno. And it's amazing to think that in games this season in which we've gone behind away from home, We've only taken one point, and that was at Crystal Palace. So it's it's an inescapable weakness, and you look at the, the home form and you look at the talent of the players, and then you have to question the mentality. I think it's the only thing that's left is okay, the mentality. Okay, I'm going to throw something at you, okay. and it might be a load of old rubbish, but um, <laughs> to borrow the old Arsene Wenger favourite, um, Judge Me in May, it's got to the point now where Arsenal had one goal, really, and one goal only for this season. And I recall when we had the opportunity to meet uh, uh, with the new head honchos of the club, Raul and Vinay, um, when they took over from Ivan Gazidis, it was absolutely abundantly clear that this season was about one thing, and that was getting back in the Champions League. And it doesn't matter how you do it, but that's that's the thing that everybody had... Uh, kind of almost blinkered vision about. Right. If Arsenal managed to win the Europa League and doesn't, you know, wherever they finish in in the Premier League is kind of, you know, four, fifth, six. Well, in a sense, you end up with the same thing except a bit more prize money. But if Arsenal can get there via the Europa League and looking at the four remaining teams, they have as good a chance as anybody. Then if you don't think that's a successful season, you're absolutely nuts and you may as well go and support a different sport or find a different pastime. Because uh, where Arsenal are at, the condition of the squad when um, Unai Emery picked it up, um, what he's worked with, albeit imperfectly, but it is what it is, 
if you can, if they get back in the Champions League and, and um, fulfil that big driven obligation that they all were sharing, that would be fantastic. And not only that, but actually winning something. Yeah. Uh, winning a Europe, Euro, European trophy. And I, I know there has been at various points some debate about what would you prefer, the, the Europa League or the top four. Yeah, yeah. And I almost can't find the words to... Um, describe how I feel about the fact that's actually a debate. Um, if you don't want to win a European trophy, I can't understand that you would prioritise something else given the history of Arsenal Football Club. Yeah. Uh, how many European trophies have Arsenal ever won? I think we all know the answer to that. One in 1970 and one in 1994. So there's a lot of people who have never seen it. How many finals have Arsenal been in? Um, 1980 against Valencia, which yeah. was a, a, a bitter experience. Uh, 1995, oh, <laughs> a bitter experience uh, against Real Zaragoza. Are you trying to cheer me up here or what? No, What's I'm trying on? to <laughs> make the point that the Europa League is really important. And I think it would be fantastic. I agree. I, I look at myself and James and, had this conversation. If, I agree. You ha sometimes you have to deal with what's in front of you. And what's in front of Arsenal is that they've messed up royally in the last week and leave themselves in a position where you look at the three remaining fixtures and think, how many points do you think it's likely the Arsenal are going to get? And is it going to be enough? Um, probably not. It's hard to convince yourself. It might happen, obviously, but it's hard to sit there and feel confidence that Arsenal can go away from home anywhere and pick up the wins requ required. And the game against Brian might not be that easy at home, given their position. And so... Without saying it's an all legs in one basket situation, I think that Arsenal have a winnable semi final against Valencia, and yeah. after that, you're in a final against a team that whoever it is, you've got a chance against. And it could be a great day or great night. It could be a memorable moment in the club's history. It would be winning something if they can achieve it, which is absolutely worth celebrating. Now, whether in the longer term that actually can change something in the mentality of the players is the next question. Yeah. The, the FA Cup wins towards the latter end of, of Arsene Wenger's time were not quite enough to have that knock-on effect of, you know, they've, they've overcome a psychological hurdle and they don't feel so much like losers. Um, it's two slightly different things, but it's it, it could have a positive knock-on effect and give them a different kind of confidence. Sure. I mean, I, I don't disagree with... Uh, any of that really when it comes to talking about the Europa League and if you were to make it a straight choice between top four and Europa League winning the Europa League of course I would take winning the Europa League a trophy is a trophy and you know as you say uh, it's a tangible measure of success we also get into the Champions League so that that goal is achieved I just wonder a little bit about what um what you think might happen now, given how badly this week has gone, because people were asking, what does Unai Emery do? Is he prioritizing the Europa League now? You know, uh, even subconsciously, was that informing his team selections? Was it something that informed the team selection against Crystal Palace? I mean, we've got a game against Leicester on, on Sunday. I, I genuinely think after what's happened this week, top four is going to be just out of our reach. Is that now... Is it now incumbent on Unai Emery to to put his eggs more in the Europa League basket than the Premier League basket? And how does he find the balance between 
preparing for a semi-final against Valencia, who are beatable, I think, uh, but also a very good team. uh, and they've shown that this season in, in La Liga. They've got some some very good players who would cause us problems. If you look at what Wolves did to us, you know, they've similar kind of players who could who could cause us those problems. You know, what is the ideal preparation for that semi-final? Is it going to Leicester with a weak team and and, and losing again away from home? Yeah, but but Arsenal went to Wolves with probably their strongest team. Yeah. What happened. No, okay, so yeah, fair point. I don't think that you can take that as a measure of... You know, you pick a stronger team, you're going to be okay. You pick a weaker team, you're inevitably going to get bashed up. It's it, it's not working that way. Mm. Um, I think that prioritising Valencia is practical. I think it, it would be, for example, Laurent Koscielny, after his um, uh, injury and, and comeback and difficulties regaining full form has been amazing. But should he have been playing 90 minutes of each of the last games in quick succession at his age not ideal so you'd have to think that he needs a, a rest at some point yeah um we all know what that means defensively you want to take one of the defenders out the team and play with a with a you know the pattern that should be the best pattern which is that three at the back and wing backs mm. um so it's kind of it's complicated but it's the practical route for sure i think at this point yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No. 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 Oh, yeah, I, that was that was such a a wistful sigh. It was. I mean, I fi- I have to say, I found this week. Come on, let's talk about something else. <laughs> what were we yeah. talking about? Game of Thrones? I don't know. I mean, it's um, it, it it's just really. I find myself this morning, and I wrote about it in the blog. You know, quite down on where we are, and I realise that this season could end with. A huge success in 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 terms of what we've done over the last number of years and a European trophy. I know that's still there and I know that's still within our grasp, but I, I look at where we are and what's happening and how the manager didn't get any backing in January and what he decided to do in January was to bring in a player who's, you know, has had no impact whatsoever. Um we're going into a first full season under the ownership of, of KSE. We still don't have a head of recruitment. We've got to put a certain amount of faith in in someone like Raul Sanyehi, who who we don't know a huge amount, and we can't measure what kind of a guy he is uh, and what kind of work he can do. And uh, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not feeling particularly good about where we are. Um, I think this week has been really quite damaging. Uh, to my perception anyway of the club and where exactly it's going in relation to where we want it to be I think that's all fair but as I said before that all those sentiments uh, become important and to the fore at the end of the season if Arsenal haven't fulfilled their objective of getting back in the Champions League which looks like it'll be via a, a trophy yeah if they do, then I think all those uh, questions have a different flavour. And y- y- you have to maybe try to just take a deep breath, hold hold <laughs> back from total dismay or, or um, helplessness uh, looking at the bigger picture and just give them that chance. You've got, I think you've got to give... Emery and the players and by extension the people running the club um, the grace 
of seeing if they can get to Baku and win a trophy and get back in the Champions League. If not, then analysis, full analysis that asks questions of everybody is absolutely right and yeah. fair. But give them that chance. No, I'm, okay, fair enough. You're talking me off the ledge here a little bit, and I appreciate, I appreciate that. <laughs> and look, you know, it's it's an exciting thing, I think, to to have a European semi final. We were here last year, and uh, you know, uh, it didn't quite work out the way we wanted it to. Uh, we've got a second chance against a, a Spanish team to to reach a final. You know, Emery is a, a specialist in this competition, and maybe he's a manager perhaps more set up for for that kind of football or for that kind of success. You know, well, I think over the two legs against Napoli, he really flexed his Europa League muscles. I agree. Um, He tactically got the entire operation virtually spot on over 180 minutes. Um, The only real element that uh, what was it perhaps imperfect was that they they had really good opportunities to get an away goal and didn't in the first leg. But apart from that, the whole atmosphere around it, ambition around it, the teams he picked, the the uh, determination um, and control with which Arsenal managed both legs was first class, actually. And it's interesting because, you know, we sit here and are trying to get our heads around who em- Emery is, what his methods really are, what what his management's ideas are really about over the slightly longer term in, in regards how Arsenal might go on to try and take the next steps, which are dealing with some of these inbuilt problems you, you, you were talking about earlier. Um, but looking at Ancelotti, um, who was another name in the frame uh, around a, you know a year ago when the replacement to Arsene Wenger was being sought... Um, you know, and seeing the pressure that he was under uh, at a club that's second in Serie A and uh, was probably fancying his chances of being in a similar um, uh, kind of group of teams that would be amongst the favourites for the Europa League and what that would mean for them. Same things, really, getting back into the Champions League and, you know, they they were in it at the start of the season, remember? Mm. Um and having a, something tangible in terms of success, they were right up for it as well. And they, by the end, Ancelotti looked absolutely unstripped and under pressure because he couldn't get anything right in that tie, whereas Emery got everything right. So, uh, you know, I keep hugging. <laughs> it feels like all roads of conversation lead back to the Europa League and maybe yeah. that's just trying to avoid being too negative and um and pessimistic yeah but it it, it was something strange about that napoli um particularly the second leg i think in naples where everyone was expecting that to be a tougher game than it was uh, a more hostile atmosphere than it was a more pressurized situation than it was but still going into it I, i think a lot of people wouldn't have been amazed if Napoli had gone hell for leather and been 2-0 up within 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> a la Wolves, for example. Um, and yet, quite quickly you thought, hang on a sec, the, the, 
It was exactly what you sort of want from an away performance that Arsenal haven't shown often enough, which is a, mature, a collective maturity. Yeah. You know, to be able to handle the situation as a group, to trust one another, to back one another on the pitch, to be a bit more, um, uh, a bit more attack minded. So instead of being scared about being taken apart at the back, Arsenal were, you know, playing quite high up the pitch around the edge of Napoli's box and a lot in the first quarter of an hour and, and showing that they weren't sort of going out there ready to be vulnerable, which is what people sometimes expect of, of Arsenal away from home. Hmm. And, and it, it was, you know, it was a blueprint of, of sorts, but it also, it was almost as if um, they felt that, we're, you know, we're comfortable in this competition and we're like, we're, we're focused on it and we're going for it. Maybe that's our, you know, reality is, that's kind of Arsenal's level at the moment. Yeah. Of, is as a, a strong Europa League outfit. And actually... Again, talking bigger picture, that's the goal. If, if they do, whether it's this season or in, in future seasons, get back in the Champions League, it's not just just getting there. It's it's being able to be more competitive sure. in that slightly higher band, okay. and that's domestic as well as in Europe. That's uh, what that is. But it's step sure. by step. We can't. They can't expect. Unfortunately, given events, it, it's obvious that these things are just never happening overnight. Yeah, okay. Well, that's sort of where I want to go with my next question, in that, you know, I worry a little bit that that things are quiet and we don't don't see or hear much from the people running the club beyond the sort of normal platitudes. But let's put it like this. Sanyehi is relatively new in the job and relatively new as the man making all the football decisions. Unai Emery is new in the job. It'll be, you know, his first season at the club will be over uh, within, you know, a few weeks, hopefully at the end of May. Um, What's your sense of their ability or capability or willingness to make big decisions? Because it feels to me like they might be just sitting, looking and weighing up all the evidence that's presented to them on and off the pitch in terms of how the players are performing and what they can do and what they can do on a consistent basis. You know, it feels like there are very big decisions to be made about members of this squad. I know that's, you know, there have been issues throughout the season. Some of those seem a bit more um, okay at this moment in time. But when you look at the squad and what needs to be done to it, that there are going to be massive decisions that have to be made. There are going to there are going to be players that that simply have to go, and others who might go in order to uh, what's the word I'm looking for here to to help facilitate a rebuilding. Um, do you feel like these guys are prepared to make those decisions and prepared to make those things happen? Uh I think we're all in the dark, Andrew. Um, as you say, there's there's so much new, uh, and in many ways, it seems mad to think that you're rewinding only a year, and you know nobody had had heard of of some of the people who are you know highly involved in top positions at the club. Um, there is so much churn that is necessary to try and do that rebuild and that was always the case 
even last summer when um, Unai Emery came in and this the start, the kind of next phase of the changes that Ivan Gazidis had put in place was, was beginning to happen mm. before he uh, found something better to do. Um, we don't know enough yet about how Raul Sanyehi operates to know if he can realistically manage or how quickly he can realistically manage the amount of change that is still required to take those next big steps. Um, it's a lot on his plate. And I think that especially after the change with Sven Mislintat leaving in the director of football scenario uh, going the way that it had, um, it's really on his shoulders. Mm. And he's got a, a huge summer because there's already, you know, uh, squad change that's happening just because of people leaving, whether it's Ramsey, Czech, probably Danny Welbeck, you know, guys who um, have been important players. And that's quite apart from if you think about any different kind of investment Um so, yeah, there's a there's a there, I I can't imagine enough will be done in one summer. So we might have to just. I think it's a longer up, job. I yeah. think that it's a it's a bit by bit job, and it, it might take quite a lot more windows, and it might even take some more managers, in you know in time, um, because even if. You've you've got uh, big money behind you. It's it's not an easy task to start. I mean, look at look at how far ahead Man City and Liverpool are. It, yeah, it's just not realistic to think that another summer with a probably quite limited KSE uh, budget is going to bridge that gap. It ain't happening. I mean, it's well, it's very difficult to, to foresee that. Yeah. As as being being likely, I think I think that it sounds a you know grim not to be more positive and rah rah rah, but smaller you know smaller achievements need to be the things that Arsenal kind of look forward to bit by bit. Yeah. And, until you reach a position where you suddenly think all the cards are falling into place. Um, but there's just a few too many cards at the minute. Way too many cards. I mean, <laughs> you, if you talk about judging the, the season in May, do we judge how the club is being run at the start of August or whenever the, the transfer window closes and we prepare ourselves for the first game of the season? Is that the measure of, of how we're well, going to know? I, I think you can certainly make, make an initial judgment there because um, everything that, uh, that Raul has previously said, and indeed the evidence was there with Denis Suarez, is that January is not where they're looking to operate. So yeah. summer is massive. And then next summer after that probably is massive again. So the first real opportunity to make a serious judgment, um, you know, there was a, there was a initial um, judgment, obviously based on, the incomings uh, from last summer and 
I think most people would agree that the majority of those signings have been promising, if not consistent over a season. Um, Stefan Lichtenstein obviously was the one that really didn't work out and Dennis Suarez this, this January has been pretty pointless exercise. Um, but Leno, Torreira, Guendouzi um, and Socrates have all given uh, moments um, of great promise at different times of the season, even if it's not been like a whirlwind that's everything's right. phenomenal straight away. Hmm. So this next summer is a, is another big one. Oh. Yeah. And I think August, start of the season, end of the transfer window, you'll have you'll be able to make a reasoned assessment on how you think the club is being run from on high. Yeah, not just Raul Sanyehi, but also uh, KSE as well. I think we should, uh, or I should point that out. I don't want to put that on you. Uh, mm. All right, look, Amy, I know you're a little bit pressed for time this morning, um, but appreciate it as always. And thank you very much indeed for uh, for calming me down a little bit. It's um, pleasure. And please, can I, please next time, can we have, um, can we have a happier? Yes. How about, how about we talk uh, during the summer when there's no Arsenal game to wreck our heads? How about that? <laughs> Great. <laughs> or after you we... Know, well, maybe, maybe it'll be around the Europa League final. Exactly. After we, after on, we win... Positive. Well, look, if we win the Europa League final, we'll have a definite happy chat about that. We'll put that Deal. in the diary, will we? Okay, good. <laughs> Thanks, Amy. Take care. As always, a pleasure to talk to Amy, and she did make me feel a bit better about stuff. Uh, make sure you're following her on Twitter, at AmyLawrence71, at AmyLawrence71, and hopefully we can have that nice chat after Arsenal win the Europa League at the end of May. Of course, we do have to get past Valencia in the semi-finals. That's a bridge we can cross when we come to it. We'll be coming to it next week, of course. The first leg takes place next Thursday, and maybe we'll try and get a an extra bonus podcast along the way perhaps you know looking at Valencia what kind of a team they are what kind of a challenge they will pose to us over the two legs want flexibility take yoga want flexibility with your health insurance check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company they offer flexible budget-friendly medical dental and vision coverage that may be right for you more at uh1.com Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Right, while the Arsenal men continue to vex us at every available opportunity, the Arsenal women, meanwhile are on the verge of winning the title. This weekend, they face Brighton. And with me to discuss that is Tim Stillman. Tim, hi. Hello there. It's a big chance for Arsenal to win the title. They face the second best team in the league next week in the final game of the season. That's Manchester City. But this weekend it's Brighton and all going well. That game against Manchester City can be a bit of a party. 
Yeah, it should be. That's definitely the aim. And um, they really, really should be beating Brighton. Um, Brighton, you know, they've done a really good job of promoting this game, actually. They've moved it to the Amex um, and they've, you know, made a bit of a song and dance and done a lot of pub- publicity. Um, but for Arsenal, this is this is huge because what they really don't want, if they don't win this game, then that Manchester City game becomes a straight shootout for the title, which... Um, you know, I, I don't think they they really want, and I don't think um, most people's nerves could take that. Um, but the, you know, for the last few weeks, it's been very much they're four wins away, they're three wins away, they're two wins away, and they've taken it step by step. And there, there has been, I think, in the last couple of games, like in the last twenty minutes, like a little bit, you can see the nervous energy a little bit. They realise they're on the cusp. But yeah, they sh- they should be beating Brighton, and I think they would absolutely love to have um, a guard of honour from Manchester City on the last day. <laughs> uh, wouldn't we all? Uh, you know, whether it's a men's team or otherwise. But you know, uh, put into context what this would mean for for the women's team this season. Mm. Uh, you know, next season there's going to be a Manchester United team in the top yep. league, right? Uh, you know, Manchester City obviously have the the money to invest in a team. The third best team are, are Chelsea. So we could see a, a much more, maybe not much more, but a, a more competitive league next season. Mm-hmm. Um, so to take this opportunity this season, I mean, how, do, how does this win, or if they achieve this win at the weekend, how, how would it be viewed in the overall context of this season and what's to come? So I think this would be Arsenal's best ever title win because of um, the competition around. Even Chelsea points out their third. They're in the semi-finals of the Champions League, and they they lost two one away at Lyon in the second in the first leg. So they're actually in with a really really good chance. Um, of going through to the final so you could have a scenario where the third best team in the WSL this year could win the European Cup Um, and Chelsea frankly they walked it last year they won it with about two games to spare Um, so given a the level of competition and b the thing is for Arsenal they've had so many injuries um, for most of the season there hasn't been a single game this season where they've been able to name seven substitutes not one wow Um, because of the injury situation, which has eased a little bit now, but has been there all season. So for them really to lead this thing from the front, from the beginning, um, and the only thing that has really made it drag on this long is the injury situation. Arsenal played Manchester City and Chelsea either side of Christmas when, frankly, they were down to the absolute bare bones. They had to start a 17-year-old away at Manchester City. And, you know, had that not been the case, then... Though, you know they probably wouldn't have lost um, both of those games and this would be done even earlier so they've effectively they're doing this with a core of about 12 or 13 players old school um, old school title winning ab- this absolutely absolutely and um, yeah and you know next season Chelsea won't be this bad in the league next season they're an excellent team they've just had a bit of an off season Man City will always be there you know United I don't think they'll be ready to challenge just yet but that's round the corner um, it looks like Tottenham might come up as well um, from the championship. So um, the, the league will start to look a little bit more like the Premier League. But yeah, I mean, for, for Arsenal, this would be an enormous achievement to win this with games to spare. And in terms of putting into context what it would mean to Arsenal, the analogy I always draw is between Arsenal women and maybe Manchester United in the men's game in that they haven't won the league for a few years. They should have won it. 
They absolutely have not been left behind financially. They probably spend more just about than Chelsea and City. And they really should have won it by now. They've won a lot of cups, but they've not really been a league team. And I think there's just a sense now that this has, this has come together at the right time. But um, and, and I think they'll do it this year. But next year, they'll have the Champions League as well. Yeah. Um, there's, um, there's a few big players coming in. Um, in the summer which which will excite people um, as well and that squad will get a little bit bigger so hopefully injuries won't have us naming like 13 or 14 players anymore yeah so it is 2012 since Arsenal won the league yeah. right yeah so I mean that's uh, that that is a big gap um, and in terms of what it'll mean to the squad you, you talk about Champions League football uh, you know that's another challenge is this something that they're they're really building towards. You're, you're talking yep. about investment and players coming in during the summer, um, which I guess you have to do. You have to have a bigger squad to compete mm-hmm. across all those all those games. But the support, I guess, from from the club and the way that the women's team is being run is enabling yep. this success. Yeah, absolutely. So Arsenal basically write a cheque for about £2.5 million, um, every season for the Arsenal women's team at the moment, which is um, you know non-refundable. Um, as it were. So yes, Arsenal um, deserve every credit um, for that. It's something that David Dean really started. He was very, very keen with it, but Ivan kind of kept it up. Sir Chips is keeping it up. Uh, Sir Chips goes to most of the games, actually. Um, a fairly divisive <laughs> figure in the Arsenal fan base, but he's he's been there most of the season, um, actually, which um, which the players absolutely love. Like it, they they absolutely notice it um, when he's there, and they notice that kind of that level of support. But yeah, they they've been building towards the Champions League. They missed out by one point last year, and they had this shocking result away at Yeovil, which they drew nil nil, which was only one of two points Yeovil got all season. It was it's probably the most surprise result in Arsenal's history. Um, and they missed the Champions League by one point. But um, mm. I spoke to the manager, Joe Montemoro, about that last year. And he said, I, I don't think we're ready um, for it yet. He was quite relaxed and he wanted to go with a small squad this year and try and win the league. And I think had they snuck in to the Champions League last year, you wouldn't have seen um, the success it looks like they're going to get this season. Yeah, I mean, they are you know stretched enough in the league anyway. And, uh, yep. you know, just to put it in context, if anyone thinks Arsenal writing, writing a cheque for £2.5 million pounds is, is a lot, that's seven weeks' wages for Mesut yep. Ozil. So, um, look, we'll keep our fingers crossed that they can do what they need to do uh, on Sunday against Brighton. And, of course, we will have... Uh, we will have coverage of that uh, over on Arsblog News. Thanks to you, Tim. And there is uh, a new Arsenal women's Arsecast available right now. Yeah. Just uh, give people a little flavour of what that's about. Yeah, sure. So back in 2006-07, um, Arsenal women won the quadruple. Um, but the, the kind of biggest part of that they won, it was called the UEFA Cup at the time, but it is recognised as the Champions League. So they won the Champions League. In 2007, they, it was a fantastic story, really. They they beat a Swedish side called, called Umea in the final, and you know Arsenal were the the absolute um, clear kind of domestic dominant force at the time, but in Europe, not so much. Um, they were big underdogs against Umea um, in the final. They had. Uh, and and I, I spoke to Faye White, who was the captain of that team. She missed most of that season with a knee injury. Um, so I kind of speak to her about her kind of mixed feelings, really, on, on mm. sitting on the sidelines and watching 
this great achievement um and also talked to kelly smith who um is arguably the finest women's footballer ever um certainly arsenal women's finest footballer ever um in the season she had that year and kelly as ever with kelly there's always a really interesting story behind her career and most of the time it's due to really bad injuries but on this occasion this is one of the few seasons she stayed fit but she missed both legs of the european cup final because she was sent off in the semi-final after having scored two goals um, and she got so fed up with being kicked that she kind of retaliated second yellow card you know one match ban set to miss the semi-final second leg um she then decided to uh flick a v sign at the, <laughs> at the uh, bronby supporters um and just for good measure when she got down the tunnel she um should we say she redecorated the referee the furniture in the referee's room um and picked up a further two match ban and was suspended for both legs of the final oh my goodness um, which for arsenal made the task a lot harder um, it was just another kind of a bit of a flashpoint in Kelly's very colourful career. But, I, you know, I talked to her about that season and um, she'd just kind of come back from the US where she, you know, succumbed to depression and alcoholism. Uh, she came back to Arsenal to get on her feet, really. So she had this amazing season where she scored 34 goals in 30 games, but um, missed, the, you know, the two biggest moments of her career because... Um, you know, because of um, a bit of temper, shall we say. Right, okay. Well, fascinating, I'm sure. <laughs> that sounds brilliant. So it reminds me of uh, Freddie Umber getting sent off yep. at White Hart Lane. He kicked the door <laughs> in there, didn't he? So uh, she's in good company. If you're subscribed to the Arsecast regular, you will find that Arsenal Women's Arsecast available in the uh, in the feed on your podcast app. So get listening uh, to that. Tim, let's just talk very briefly about what happened on Wednesday night against Wolves. Mm. Um really disappointing week uh, a really disappointing yeah. response uh, to the disappointment of crystal palace uh, i i thought we might see a bit more I, I was reasonably encouraged by the way we were playing until such time as wolves scored and then afterwards it was uh it was as if everything just went to pieces for us which i guess you could say it did yeah, absolutely. Um, th this is going to sound like one of those um, kind of bullshit stories, but I, I swear it's true. The, the instant they went 1-0 up, I, I turned to my mate and I said, the game's over. Like, um, yeah. we're, we're, we are absolutely not going to turn this round because we'd started well enough. But, you know, it looked a bit ominous in terms of we were struggling to create chances, really, despite the fact we were playing OK. And I just always think without Aubameyang, um, we, we just we look quite toothless why um, to let be me honest just, let me just interrupt you there if you don't mind why mm. do you think it is when we have a midfield with granite Xhaka, who's got a great range of passing lucas Torreira, who mm. is uh not just a defensive midfielder but somebody who is progressive with the way he uses the ball and also gets up the pitch we have henrik mkhitaryan we've got mesut ozil and alex iwobi behind alexandro lacazette why was it we struggled to create chances what is it about this team from an attacking point of view that feels so inhibited you know because mm. we we think about arsenal and we think about um our, our bad defensive away record but i'm not sure we're particularly good from an attacking point of view on the road oh. either 
No, we average something like eight shots per game away from home. And that, that tells you everything. You're right. All of those players pass the ball really well. And that's what we saw against Wolves in the first half. They were all moving the ball beautifully. The The problem, I think, is a fairly simple one. None of them get into the penalty area. Um, and Lacazette, he's he's really good at what he does. And he's, he, you know, he's a really, really good player, a, a really big asset. But when he kind of drops off um, to try and link the play a little bit, nobody goes and runs in behind him. Nobody runs into that space. And we just don't have any penalty area presence. And basically, you look through the squad and who, who do you back to score a goal? Um, the two strikers and then maybe Ramsey yeah. after that. And then who? Yeah. I mean... Mkhitaryan doesn't score that often. Iwobi doesn't score often. Ozil doesn't score often enough. It's all um, it's all build up, but there's there's just a real lack of um, of penetration there. And I, I think that that in the summer that is an absolute, quite possibly the top priority to get, um, if not another striker, to get another wide forward who can contribute ten to fifteen goals a season. Because none of the all of the even like um. I know he hasn't really played much, but even Denis Suarez, his whole career is not built on end product. It's built on keeping the ball ticking over and linking yeah. play. And we've just got loads of players that do that. Yeah. But really, we've only got two that stick the ball in the net. It feels like we need somebody who is, I don't want to use a word that uh, it's hard to attribute the quality of it to a player, but somebody who's maybe a bit more brave in the opposition yep. final third, somebody who is willing to take a chance and take a risk and do something with the ball other than make sure their passing stats aren't, you know, in the high 90% or whatever it is. You know, the 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 ability to take on an opponent, to run at opponents, you know, we, we saw it from, from Wolves last night. You know, the first goal came because what did they do? They just started running at us. They yep. just ran at us, and all of a sudden we were in bits panicking, and Monreal, I think, was a little bit unlucky with the foul. But, you know, that's what happens when you're willing to take a bit of a risk uh, in the opposition half, whereas we don't, yep. we, we don't do it often enough. No, and, and that's another thing we lack. We lack those, those players that kind of run with the ball. If you look at the Palace game on Sunday in the first half, the only two times we looked vaguely threatening was when Lacazette went on a dribble from the halfway line. Yeah. Um, then there was a point, I think, where Mavropanos went past two or three players yeah. and then took um, a real centre-half shot. Um, and then we saw the difference that even someone like Iwobi, who's you know a long way from a world-class player, just having someone that has that little bit of impetus and takes players on, we miss that. But um, the... the the kind of player you're describing, I think, is um, probably Alexis Sanchez, or at least what yeah. Alexis Sanchez was. And this was why in his final season, which was far from his best, I, I was... I, I just didn't really agree with people who got really annoyed with him. I, I got it. I understood why uh, people thought he was, like, selfish and, and you know, a, a bit too individualistic. But I always just thought... If you, if we, t I don't think there's a free-flowing team waiting to break out of his shadow. I think that happened because it was necessary because nobody else was doing it, and it was a bit frustrating sometimes watching him, you know, try and beat three players and then clip that cross to the back post or force a shot. But I, and ordinarily I would be on board with being a bit annoyed about that, but I just didn't think there was anything else there, and. Uh, Unfortunately, I, I just think that's the case. Um, not that I'm saying I'd take Alexis 
back because I don't think that I don't think he's capable of that anymore by the looks of it. But we, we certainly miss that little bit of jeopardy um, in attack. Certainly, yeah. There's a thing going around on Twitter today. Um, I don't know if it comes from Opta Joe. Uh, no, where is it here? Um, yes, basically, since he left. Um, Alexis Sanchez scored the most and assisted the most away goals in the Premier League from 2014-15 to 2017-18. Since he left, Arsenal have won six out of 25 away games. Mm. So I, I get what you're saying too, absolutely. You know, you saw all these stats doing the round. How many times Alexis Sanchez has turned the ball over, you know, and it fed into frustration with him because it was clear that he probably wanted to leave and wanted to leave the summer before and and mm. all that sort of stuff was going on. But the impact that he did have on the team, particularly in away games, when we needed somebody to produce something, you yeah. know, uh, a moment of individual brilliance or or the kind of play that kind of dragged people with him, if you know what I mean. I yeah. think about that game against West Ham away from home, and one of the goals that he scored was a run um, from, it could have been the halfway line, I think, and, and he, he he might have been offside or whatever. But somebody prepared to make those runs had a massive yeah. impact on the way we played and, and the, the results that we were able to achieve without anybody driving the team in that way it looks like that could be a key factor in why our away form is just so bad. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It, it just lacks that little bit of devil. And, and you know, I, I think the away form had started to drop before we lost Alexis as well. But yeah. um, I, I do think also the loss of Cazorla is, is, is probably quite significant there. It's just That's just a player we just haven't been able to replace. And to, to some extent, that's forgivable because there aren't many Santi Cazorlas out there. Um, and if there are, they're generally not available to a club like Arsenal at the moment but um, I, you know we we had that little bit of control maybe with Cazorla that we that we struggle to get now and with Sanchez we, you know between Sanchez and Ozil there was there was just a nice chemistry between that kind of yeah um, technical obsession with technical control and then that little bit of that little bit of jeopardy that little bit of devil that I just don't really think we have I think we have it in Aubameyang's movement, maybe, but he's a very low-touch player, so he's not going to influence the game mm. um, very much. And, yeah, I mean, I, I I think a wide player that can do, like, a rough approximation um, of that. I Like, I always felt, weirdly enough, that I quite liked the signing of Jovino because although it didn't work, um, and I stress that very, very... Um, very intently, I felt like he was the type of player we needed um, at that time. And I, I kind of feel like a competent Jovino, um, you know, the Jovino that doesn't run the ball out of play and perhaps stops it a yard, you know, a yard earlier is, is kind of exactly what this team needs. Like someone who really tries to get to the byline and, and, and take players on and commit them and try and bend defenders out of shape. Because you look at the second half against Wolves and it's one of the most boring halves of football I've ever watched. And it was yeah. so obvious um, that it was going to happen. It was just going to be like a training exercise yeah. um, where... You know, the the only chance we really created was from a set piece, and well, every everything we had 
to score goals was on the pitch from the start. Apart yep. from Eddie Nketiah, of course, who's just a you know nineteen year old and, and not very experienced. So, you know, Emery was absolutely banking on on the players that he picked from the start to do the business, and uh, unfortunately, they didn't. How, how just finally? How do you view this Sunday's game against Leicester now in light of uh, what happened this week? Uh, I must look at the fixtures. I mean, are we going to know what's going on in the other games before we play? Chelsea play after us against Manchester United. That's at 4.30. Right, so we're playing first. So we've, you know, yeah. whatever it is we need to do, we have to do it um, yeah. before we know what's going on uh, and then hope for, you know, Manchester United and Chelsea both to drop points, but in particular Chelsea. So, you know, if there is any vague hope of, of finishing in the top four, we have to win against Leicester. Do you mm-hmm. think he's going to be looking at that game without seeing Valencia in the distance? Um, I'm, I'm really not sure. I'm, the thing is, um, Emery's quite hard to read at the best of times. And to be honest, I just don't think he's got a solution to what's going on away from home. So it's very difficult to to kind of second guess what he might do. Um, I think he might go with three at the back again, just because he doesn't want Vardy kind of getting down the sides. But um, I'm I'm not hugely confident that we're we're going to be able to keep that out. And I mean, we do have to win. I like I I don't I don't think that there's like a big surprise up his sleeve or anything. <laughs> he he tried to make this um, and and understandably like in the pre Wolves press conference he was just kind of look I'm not telling you who's available I'm not telling you what I might do I'm keeping it to myself and you know it wasn't like he sprung a massive surprise um, maybe we didn't expect Aubameyang to be out again but yeah. it wasn't it wasn't like always oh, change you know yeah, yeah, well, I yeah. mean w- what other formation can he use that he hasn't already used at this stage what what like, players can he use that he yeah, hasn't already exactly. used? Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. even Mavropanos has started two games recently. So, and like El Nenny has started games recently. Like it's it's difficult to think of too many available players or formations that he can he can go with. Um, and to be honest, I think at this stage he's just kind of putting teams out and hoping it works. Um, and and I think <laughs> he'll do the same again on Sunday. Well, and yeah. to be honest. I, oof, it, it might be a draw, I think, but I I don't see us winning, um, mm. to be honest, because I think if we were going to get that reaction away from home, we'd get it by now. We'd have had it by now. Yeah. Um, I don't think all of a sudden anything's going to dawn on them that you know couldn't have dawned on them two months ago, um, quite frankly. So I think we've just got to try and get through it and maybe hope for a Watford-type game where we nick a fairly lucky goal and and hang on because I, I don't exactly see us going there and dictating play and winning comfortably no me neither it's very difficult to be confident about us going away at all well in the Premier League anyway we, we did a good job against Napoli but that's uh, I think that's a different a different thing anyway look we'll see um, as ever Tim thanks a million and uh, we'll catch you soon my pleasure as always Thanks to Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto, of course, at Stilberto, and read his column every Thursday on arsblog.com, as well as listening to the Arsenal Women Arsecast and all the other great stuff uh, that he does over on Arsblog News with regards to the Arsenal Women, and fingers crossed they can do the business on Sunday against Brighton and become champions. That would be 
awesome. Just a quick reminder that if you're not already an Arsbong member on Patreon, you can sign up and join for just five euros a month. Five euros a month gives you access to lots and lots and lots of extra content, including this week an interview with Swedish comedian and TV presenter Anders Janssen, the latest episode of My Arse, in which I speak uh, to a uh, an Arsenal fan about their life and times as an Arsenal fan and their favourite players, their dream five-a-side team, uh, lots more besides. Uh, there's loads of podcasts on there as well. We've got a most hated Premier League 11, myself, James and Andrew Allen picking our most hated Premier League teams of all time. That's going to be up there today, Friday. Uh, that'll be available, I think, just about after lunch on Friday. So that's there, along with a whole archive of podcasts. And you can get the Arsecasts ad-free if you're an Arseblog member on Patreon. So you get the Arsecast on that feed completely ad-free. So if you want to join up, patreon.com forward slash arsblog, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. It helps support everything that we do on the site, and we really appreciate you all uh, for signing up and becoming members. And if you can't be, don't worry, everything else is still free and will always be free and available to you because uh, we care. We really do. We want your candles of hope to be burning brightly as much as possible until, you know, the team and... They do their thing. But that's out of our hands. We can only do what we do. And we hope you enjoy it. Thank you for being here. As always, James and I will be here on Monday with an Arsecast Extra looking back on the Leicester game, uh, which takes place at 12 o'clock on Sunday. Will our top four chances still be alive or will they be fully extinguished by yet another terrible away day? I hope not. Uh, You know, we all deserve a win at this point, don't we? They've put us through enough this week. So god damn it Arsenal just just win just win don't complicate things it's really simple there's three things you can do you can win you can lose or you can draw just win is that that hard every other fucking team manages it away from home just pretend to be Crystal Palace how about that see if that works it's worth a try I guess at this point thank you folks hope you enjoyed the show catch you on the next one until then cheers bye bye Good evening, Alexa. Please to play uh, my favorite song. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening, good evening. Good evening, good evening, 
Good evening, good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Oh, good evening. Good evening. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.